So openness and being open to be vulnerable, being open to be transparent is, is a pretty important trait in, in communication. And, and that's, I think, helped me nurture a lot of deep relationships with our network is just getting to this um, deep connections and then just getting stuck in the material surface details. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 17 of our podcast. Before we start this episode, I just want to apologize. There's going to be some noise around me. There's work being done somewhere in the neighborhood, and it's quite loud. Um, today, we're chatting with Nader Abdelazit, co-founder and CEO of MoneyHash. And we've got a bunch of questions for you. But we've, before we get to that, I'd love it if you could kind of trace back your journey with us and tell us a bit more about yourself, maybe starting from where you grew up, how you came to move to the U.S. And, and, and we'll kind of jump in from there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well hi, everyone. Uh, glad to be here. Thank you, Stephanie and Anna, for having me. Uh, my name is Nader Abdelrazi. I'm uh, Egyptian, born and raised in, uh, in Cairo. I grew up in uh, a family of six um, in um, an area or a neighborhood in, in Egypt called Halmeya, which is a lower to middle class uh, area. was fun playing in the streets and... Um, and having the vibrancy of Cairo close by. Um, yeah. I, I got uh, trained as an engineer in, um, through college and then later served in the army. And after the army, there oh. was the Arab Spring and, uh, and everything happening in the country. And I was uh, deeply frustrated by how experts didn't know what's going on, you know. Uh, yeah. So I thought to build myself as an expert, that was like the theoretical thinking in my head. Like I need to go learn what's happening in the world because no one understanding what's going on. So I started an academic career. I started um, grad school in Mali University in Egypt, uh, focusing on technology management and, and techno-economic development. And then um, later moved to the U.S. to do uh, another grad school. Uh, which is UC Berkeley uh, International Development or International Development Practice School. And I was trying to study everything all the way from engineering management and R&D to, uh, to anthropology and American history. There was, uh, at some point, I was teaching American history in, in Berkeley. Um, and it was my first time in the U.S. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> It was quite ironic to, to talk to the students and be like, hey, I'm a teacher. I'm going to talk about American history and culture. And it's actually my first semester in the U.S., so <laughs> bear with me. You know? Sorry to jump in. What did you think your career path was going to look like at that time? At that point, I, I practically didn't care. I was just <laughs> trying to, to be the best expert or analysis or strategist that I can. Um, and my theory at that time was multidisciplinary is the way. I, I defined like four core disciplines I want to study, which was like engineering, right. management, economics, and politics. And I was like, I'm going to bring the four into one mind. And at some point, this might be a professor, this might be a consultant, this might be a, an entrepreneur. I have no idea where it, where it is going, going with the flow. Exactly, exactly. And I did a lot of consulting projects in parallel to this journey, um, all the way from right. small nonprofits in, in Egypt and, and Germany to, uh, to consulting for companies like Microsoft and uh, Conservation International. So it was that the career was leading towards like a mix between academia and consulting till, till I read about blockchain and, and fintech. And, I, and then I it was kind of intriguing because it's a it's a problem, the infrastructure problem of 
of money movement and decentralization right. is is quite distributed across these four disciplines and it it was just very uh, stimulating to me i really i really like that yeah and and i wanted to get back to the region i wanted to connect with the region at, at that point so i i flew back from california to to egypt and start looking for for jobs and blockchain at this time was kind of nascent so I joined a startup in Tunisia that uh, that was building kind of like distributed coding teams or distributed developers team. And I was responsible for the learning and development mainly to build the blockchain bootcamp. But I ended up building uh, all other bootcamps, uh, the, the different coding <laughs> bootcamp, machine learning and, and web and, and also the soft skill side of things. I spent there about a year then I got back to Egypt for another blockchain company that was doing a blockchain hardware connectivity, um, which was way too early to the market. And uh, so it took us some time kind of like uh, looking at things and engaging with the ecosystem. And then when the company uh, when the company closed and the blockchain at this time, if, if you remember the, the period of 2018, 2019 was right. the restructuring of consensus and all of that. Yes, of course. The, yeah, the, the energy of, of uh, or the hype and around blockchain kind of started fading out. And, and at yeah. this time, I, I knew fintech was a natural ex- extension to that. So I joined uh, yeah. a payment gateway in, uh, in Egypt called XPay, which at, at that time was specialized in payments for, uh, for communities. So gated communities, um, residential compounds, schools, universities. Uh, things like that and he spent the years there and after that uh, COVID came and uh, me and my wife decided to move to the U.S. for uh, for personal reasons and it, it seemed kind of like a perfect time to think about do I have a problem that is itching me to solve myself or, or not yeah. Uh, yeah. and there was <laughs> yeah so that's awesome how did you Anisha and Mustafa meet so um, Mustafa was uh, was one of the um, was one of the leadership team in the payment gateway I was working in in, in Egypt, yeah. And um, he left shortly before me, about a month or two, for for a project he was working on in in Spain. And then when I decided to start Money Hash, uh, Mustafa was one of one of the people I really enjoyed working with. Um, there was an amazing uh, connection between us on on professional and personal level. Uh, he was in my wedding. It's it, it was like a deep relationship, and also we really found um, a good match. Also, like intellectually yeah. in terms of ideas and stuff. So the moment I had the idea, I had to send him a doodle, kind of like on on a on like a Google Doc, asking him like what is his opinion. And, and Mustafa's this brilliant infrastructure engineer. So he pulled off a prototype in like a day. Oh, wow. So it was like, I'm, I'm telling him something. He's showing it to me. So now let's show it to potential customers and see what you'll think. So I was lucky he was in between jobs at this time. I was lucky that we had this relationship. Yeah. In church, so it, it seemed to be like a natural extension to, to what we were uh, working on before. So when, when we did this prototype, this was like around September, October 2020, um, we interviewed about 25 companies. 
And the idea was simple at that time. The idea was like building an API standard for payments. But right, the more right. the more and more we interview companies, the more we see the complexity of the problem. And by by this interview of 25, 26, which was like around December, early January, we were like, that's that's gonna be the AWS of money. We need something like AWS. Uh, we need a cloud microservices infrastructure for money in emerging markets. And this is a gigantic product. I am like business strategist with like um, a multidisciplinary background. Mustafa is an infrastructure. We need someone to lead product um, and, and kind of stitch this vision together. So I know Anisha through uh, my wife. They have been in college together in um, Brown University in uh, Providence. And um, she has been in Silicon Valley since then. She is a first employee of NerdWallet uh, all the way to robo-advisory with SigFix. So pure fintech, pure product product management the entire career, you know. Um, And it was really fun as well, right? She was was one of the bridesmaids of my wife. So it's really funny that Mustafa and Nisha met for the first time in my wedding, you know, (laughs) which is really cool. But... uh, But yeah, the moment we, me and Mustafa talked to her and pitched and pitched the idea, she she kind of understood our philosophy, understood the idea well, and she she quit her job and, and joined us. And then it was off to the races. Yeah, yeah. After that, uh, it's a, it has been a marathon after marathon, and we'll we'll just keep uh, keep going, you know. That that's an awesome story. That's 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 great. Um, I remember just just thinking about one of the things you said in your story. Uh, I think 2017 was was the year for VCs and just the tech community where like blockchain was the hottest trend or the hottest word, the hottest buzzword going around. And then in 2018 and 19, everything just fell apart. Um, did you did you lose faith or did, did was it a natural extension of I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go and fix payments and blockchain will come around again? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I I know that blockchain is coming in my life at some point. Uh, I am a theoretical mindset by, by, by training right now. So like in my head, the amount of economic models I have built related to blockchain is just a lot. But uh, right. so pay, and payments is kind of like a, a roadmap to that. But I just yeah. don't like name dropping I don't, you know like startups when they're like we're gonna use blockchain we're gonna use ai yeah, yeah. i just yeah. don't don't want to bring up a technology until i have a concrete plan of how it actually can affect the company and um in in some trainings i gave about blockchain as well i i always say it's a technology searching for a problem uh um, right and in, in that particular sense not all problems require blockchain and and um letting the technology take its kind of like adoption as curve kind of like go through the normal uh, fads and, and hype and then yeah. it dies out and then it settles on specific use cases. That's, that was a good, uh, a good time to wait, if that makes sense. Absolutely. It's great. It's great to learn a little bit more about your story. I know we've, you know, we've talked many times, but it's great to kind of get a you know view. And we had the pleasure of meeting Mustafa recently as well. And, it, it was it was honestly great. It was great pleasure, and like we could see how you know Steph and I were speaking about. It. We could see, and unfortunately, we haven't we didn't get a chance to meet Anisha there, but we could see how you two could bounce off each other, and and, yeah. and uh, we had, we had a really good time. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. So Nether, I feel like um, you know you've mentioned teaching and 
and building the boot camps and, and all of that. And so I feel like you're a natural teacher somewhere. How do you feel that's impacting? Maybe that's a better question. Um, the culture that you're you're building at Money Hash. Oh yeah, it's it's uh, impacting it a lot. So I I do believe that um, the best companies are uh, are learning companies, companies that know how to get the machine of understanding things around them and adapting them and uh, and making learning part of the culture. And my favorite book of all time is a book called The Fifth Discipline. Uh, by Peter Senge, and it's a systems thinking book. And I was specialized in my studies in systems thinking. So that's kind of like where, where I'm coming from in most of my, my strategy building. And what systems thinking do, it kind of like looks at the complexities of things and how many things impacting each other and the dependencies and stuff. And in this book, he's talking about learning organization or building, or building an organization that's the basis of it and the way it operates is about learning um, and growing and, and the gross mindset of things. So I, we, we have been in our hiring, in our way of communicating the product to our partners, to our customers. We're just burning, building this learning curve. And what excited us about this idea as well, it's just like we're, we're a super API for all payment models and fintechs. So we need to under, understand them all, solve the problem and, and yeah. standardize it over the board. So it, it was satisfying from this aspect. So yeah, learning for, for me is everything. So I want to ask you about another word. Um, so I obviously follow you on Twitter and I saw this rant, that, which I'm, I'm a fan of your Twitter feed. I think you and Mustafa are, are, are really funny, to, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so you, you recently posted like a, a rant thread on, on one specific word. And for those that don't follow you, I'd love it if you could sort of take us through what the rant was and, and, and maybe expand a bit more about what you were, what you mean. Oh, okay. Okay. I didn't know that will come up. That's really cool. <laughs> um, well, I, I worked in three startups before and I, and I mentored a bunch and in the startup world, there is, uh, there is multiple models of cultures, but there is definitely inherited things coming from from capitalism that's quite harmful, which is like a, this toxic, competitive, ruthless, like by any means necessary kind of uh, attitude, right? Yeah. Uh, it's like destroying competitors, making, stealing talent. Like this, there is, there is all of these things exist in every single global, uh, global ecosystem. But, uh, but the annoying part is like, usually these, this part of toxicity is hiding behind fancy buzzwords, right? Uh, so one of the famous buzzwords which I was talking about in, in, in this rant is the word hustling. Hustling is a, is a celebrated culture, especially in, in, in emerging markets, but even in, in the US. As a person that studied and taught American culture at some point, the story of, of the foundation of the United States is about the underdogs that came from the British royalty flew to this country and built it from scratch and they yeah. made it against the odds, right? Uh, even right. the superhero movies like Batman, he's like a billionaire, but like he went into the mountains and got trained yeah. and then came back as yeah. a different man, you know? Um, so the, 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 the word hustling is usually used as an inspiration, but it actually comes with a package of uh, harassment and abuse and trying to take other people places and like pushing and, and all of that and 
So I, I kind of like was uh, something triggered me yesterday. I think it was an announcement uh, of someone's story. And, and the story was about like how, how this person was selling products to everyone and, and trying to, to make meets end. But what was hidden in the story is how, how much he created pressure around people around him, how much he harassed people till they say yes to him, like things like that. But it's usually comes, the story comes as like a heroic story, right? So I kind of like was highlighting that, that I, I, I have a problem with the word hustling. I appreciate perseverance. I appreciate work ethic. I appreciate gross. But I do believe that getting ahead or winning at all costs is not at 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 any way um, a good uh, a good culture to spread if, if that makes sense. I think it's a great take. I actually agree with that. I, I I think it also hides like there's there's this other layer to it, which is you know you hustle at all costs, and that means that you know at the cost of a of a healthy work ethic, and also sometimes at the cost of of burnout. And and I th- I feel like you know that's that's often too celebrated, and uh, they. The, the other side of the corn of the corn nice someone's hungry the, the other side <laughs> of the of the coin is not necessarily addressed <laughs> yeah yeah no that's that's definitely that's definitely fair and i'm now thinking about corn so like <laughs> <laughs> that will come at lunch today <laughs> just touching on this point another uh, you know you you're currently at the stage where you recently went live congratulations for that I think it's been it's some time in the making, and I think you're growing quickly now in terms of team. So I think you know both Steffi and I would love to know how you instill a good deal culture. How do you get everyone on the same page to work hard, but also instill you know a, a light a light culture, which which you're okay having fun with. We'd love to hear a little bit more about about that from you. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So so a little background for, for people listening to us. Uh, Money has just went live uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, we're building a super API for uh, aggregating payment solutions across the region and allow optimization and routing and multiple other services on top of that. So we become kind of like a payment team uh, dedicated to you or payment team as a service. And it allow you to build your payment stack customized to your business and and um, and build it the way you want uh, in an emerging market uh, friendly uh, way. And um, since we launched, we had got uh, we had got like tens of customer inquiries, and our team now is about sixteen member, and I think we will grow close to thirty within a month or two. And we're a fully remote team across uh, so far six countries or, or, or five counting uh, people in different sides of the US as one country, but it's uh, usually <laughs> not the case. But yeah, we have, we have talent in California, in Boston, in Berlin, in uh, Cairo, in Dubai, and in Lagos so far. The three of us as founders, we're, re- we're really big believers in, in remote teams and, and remote cultures. And the flexibility that comes with that and, and, and the growth that allows people to have the exposure and, and the collaboration with, uh, with different cultures and different backgrounds and uh, languages and, and all of it. It's, uh, it's quite uh, soothing and, and, and it can be a, a great power, but it comes definitely with, um, with a cost that it requires some sort of like mimicking the person or the in-person kind of 
culture building. So as we do not have office, uh, bringing this alignment is about uh, two things. It's about uh, data transparency. So having the right tools in place in which the team can access as much information about what they are building as possible and, and be able to see each other's work. And uh, and that's something we knew we, we have to build and we build it from, from the beginning. We have a very extensive base uh, using a tool called Notion that uh, companies kind of build a knowledge hub or, or information on. And we kind of align through um, kind of town hall or all hands meetings to, to get everything in one place. And we are in the process to build a lot of remote engagement, whether it's like matchmaking calls or or meetings with our advisors and meetings with our investors to to bring this passion out of uh, and, and make make people always like excited to understand more and, and, and learn more. And this is the criteria of how we pick our talent, like talent that is passionate about uh, about this and wanna and wanna grow it and have a learning and a gross mindset. Uh, so they are always curious. Uh, I think that's the driver of our business, curiosity about how to improve what what exists. So maybe now's a good time to actually unpack, you know, the the landscape pre-money hash. Okay, so this is like a a very wide question, right? But why is there a need for like for regional like or or a super API? What what are the main challenges? Yeah, so... The, the history of the pay, of the digital payment space in the region is not uh, is not that old right uh, digital payments came came to the region quite recently and maybe had a good pickup uh, during covid in particular with all the online ordering and and, and the reliance on uh, on non-physical payment and, and and all of that payment orchestration in in particular which is uh, the a name of like an adjacent field exists in Europe and the US for, for some time and it was aiming to to give this layer of flexibility, this layer of flexibility and layer of trust as well. So companies at some point they partner with a payment company, they start collecting payments using this payment company, and then eventually with the growth of the business, they get either interested in a geography or a or a payment method or a or a module or something that requires them to think of another payment part. And the moment you add two or more, you're suddenly having uh, what we call it an in-house payment infrastructure. You're managing multiple APIs. Your product have to be interoperable across across them. And these APIs look extremely different from each other. Each payment company builds their APIs very very differently. So when this emerged in, in, in US and Europe and, and these kind of markets, it, it made sense, right? Most of the digital payments is happening with, with cards. So this is kind of like routing between the different cards based on specific rules and, yeah. um, and building all of that. Uh, emerging markets, uh, on another hand, is kind of like left out in that. Cards is not a dominant payment method. There are so many payment methods that exist in the region. The region is not economically integrated like uh, like Europe or uh, or the US. In in that case, each country has their own regulation landscape, has their own payment method collections and um, and fintech ecosystem, and also with the currency and consumer behavior. So companies scaling to emerging markets has this complexity ten x or or twenty x. So the problem is is more than orchestration. The problem is the infrastructure. How to plug in 
these fragmented markets and still make my product perform from a money perspective and, and build things in a scalable way. What usually happened is small and medium businesses usually build this in-house and scrambled a lot to, to make, um, to make uh, ends meet and they usually rely on one partner uh, maybe for as long as they can. And yeah. then once they grow, they build a payments team. And, and this payments team, if, if you look at uh, big companies like Uber or Airbnb, this was like a very, very important step for companies like that because payments was too complicated that it needed multiple people to be working actively on payment. Absolutely. So in, in that case, we kind of provide this layer of abstractions that appreciates the growth of emerging markets, starting with Middle East and Africa. We believe merchants deserve an open fabric uh, for them to, to take the business the way they want and move the money the way they want without being limited by a, a, an exclusive bundle from a specific provider, whether it's geographies or payment methods or available or non-available features. Let's just dismantle it all and make it like Legos. You just stitch it there and, and, and build it and make it custom to your business and uh, to appreciate your uniqueness and and, and your gross plans the way you want without breaking the bank. Absolutely. And to the, to the listeners out there or the companies or founders that are listening to this, how does Money House help in that process? Obviously, you mentioned that, you know, you, you outsource a lot of the, the infrastructure to yourselves. So that allows teams to uh, focus on other things and focus on executing and allowing payments to come in and be, you can be the backbone for them. Uh, is is the team development or the team uh, amount of time that the team spends the key enabler that you're solving for the for companies? You mean the development of payments team? Yeah, just generally. Um, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the the decisions that businesses take in 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 money differ by by use case and uh, differ by use case and size. But but what we provide. Is, is a multi-layer um, is a multi-layered problem. So the first layer is the layer of consolidation. You are operating within a single market or multi-market, but you have multiple payment methods or multiple provider model, and that will take you what like five, six, seven sprints. Uh, you're battling this with your product backlog. Right. How this is more right. important than this feature or that feature, and we are a super API, so you connect with us. Uh, our our API is extremely simple. It takes a couple of days from a back-end engineer to, to get it up and running. And the moment you're connected with Money has suddenly all these requests are offloaded to someone else that's doing it in a modular and a fast way and, and allowing you to grow and experiment without needing to put this pressure on your technical team. And it comes also right. on, a, on a great cost avoidance, which is the hidden cost or the elephant of the room for most technical products, which is called technical debt. The more right. and more code pieces you add to your product, the slowest and the toughest your product get. So, so by, by offloading that to, to us, we kind of remove this layer from your side and, and do it in a way that works for everyone. And then the second layer is the layer of... Uh, of unification and, and, and optimization in particular. Your customers coming from different markets probably want to see a checkout experience uh, right. that works for them, right? So we provide yeah. this unified checkout uh, that sits on top of these different payment providers. 
and we provide also routing rules and optimization rules that um, that allow you to send this transaction to the uh, the optimal route whether you want to increase your settlement funds in one country or you want to optimize on fees or you want to avoid currency exchange there is a right. lot that companies think about that payment providers cannot customize but once we right. sit on top as a customization layer, we make both wins. So now payment companies can retain their customers and, and enjoy enjoy their slow growth in, in the right way and, and businesses can grow fast without um, without being limited by the ceiling being put by a single provider or a couple of providers in, in that case. And then the third layer of that is uh, the, the microservices and the centralization layer because the moment you are sitting... Uh, or you're plugging your product to a super API, the super API can grow your stack to multiple other use cases without you needing to right. do product development, whether you want to develop a promo code system or a subscription management system or a closed loop wallet. All of these things no longer need to be um, a sophisticated, massive uh, project you do in your in your team and you build it custom and then when your when your business grow you have to refactor and change it to allow for gross right now it's a plug and play it's 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 healthy it can grow with you and and you bring kind of all your transactions all your stack to a single dashboard to help you reconcile help you build help you uh, monitor right so yeah that's that's in a nutshell how, how what value we bring uh, to the table that's awesome. And I think, you're, you know, you guys are launching at such an opportune time. Uh, the number of API first companies that have that have emerged over the last year or so have been incredible. Um, and it's coming to the point where just maybe if we use payment processing or payment aggregation, just as an example, you have multiple players in developing markets as well as developed markets all fighting uh, for market share. So I'd love to hear from you. A money hash as a platform is providing e-commerce businesses, fintech businesses, all different types of businesses to access these different API for its businesses and payment processors such as Stripe, Aiden, in a quick and efficient way. So at some level, I just want to ask you, has it become commoditized? Uh, are we going towards a more niche API first model for, for startups emerging? I'd love to get your sense on that. I, I think as the region is still is still immature when it comes to to API uh, first uh, companies. It's still going to take some right first because uh, underdeveloped regulatory uh, landscape, and the regulatory landscape is moving. It's moving fast in comparison to before, but it's not moving right. fast enough in comparison to where the world is is, is heading. Absolutely. So what this leaves us with is many companies are API first by, but because they don't have access to every to every piece of the puzzle, uh, waiting for regulations, right. they have a, a semi-developed API, and then there is there is a bunch of manual processes or missing processes that that is uh, coming down the line. So that's why the super API, our super API, is differentiated as an emerging market friendly because not all payment methods are uh, are API driven. Not all payment stacks being built will be API friendly. So how to make a super API that aggregate both uh, the digital first and the non-digital first experiences together. And that's something we're really, we're really aware of uh, when we're building there. The fragmentation as well is qu- going to be quite tough 
on yeah. uh, on on businesses there because now an e-commerce merchant is just getting what like 15 20 50 emails from hey this is a buy now pay later company hey this is a payment gateway yeah. hey, this is this we can do this to you better we can do that and and they integration with each of this will mean uh, a sprint or two to just test um, right so we become this also experimentation kind of uh, layer that allows them to adapt last time we checked in 2019 2020 and this is even before the covid uh, spike on on the growth of digital payments there was about like 800 850 uh, payment and fintech company in in middle east and africa and they were growing right. at over 30% uh, compounding annual gross rate. So imagine this This is the old number. The, the, the market right. is fragmented over 800 uh, providers growing at that. And this is the number before COVID happens and before the, <laughs> the fintech uh, frenzy grows these days. Um, right. So, so yeah, we I, I think merchants need a partner on their side that helps them navigate this wave. Absolutely. And I'm assuming, you know, compared to to developed markets, the, the, the types of APIs and uh, are very, very different. I'm just thinking out loud, just just looking at kind of MENA and, and, and Sub-Saharan Africa as a whole, just on like cash in or cash out, multiple different types of mobile money wallets, different payment processes or aggregators, COD, you know, companies that are taking advantage of that. So I guess there are a lot of local idiosyncrasies that you have to play with in, in, in trying to integrate the right vendors and also offering those to consumers. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. That's that's totally correct. Steph, you want to jump in? Yeah. So I remember when we were talking about a, a month back, we sort of kind of sort of started talking about how you guys are expanding the team. You know, a month in, you know into that conversation or after that conversation, I should say, I'd love to kind of get your experience on what hiring has been like for you. A, in the current market, right? It's a, it's a very hot market for talent uh, today. And, and B, given that you're also building uh, uh, and, and, and kind of growing this remote team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I am very, very happy for the region uh, in terms of the increase in sophistication of startups that comes up in, in how many... Uh, players like you and other uh, regional and global funds help de-risk startup as a career choice, right? And that's especially in fintech as well, that became became quite uh, quite soothing and quite refreshing to see. So yeah, emerging market has been full of amazing talent that was undervalued for a while, given how the, the economy looked like and now with a more sophisticated startup ecosystem uh, this talent will get rewarded well we'll get we'll get to move away from operational model to product driven uh, models which will spill over into more startups and more amazing talent that will lead other startups so i can see this even from an academic lens the ecosystem is heading in a really really uh, positive place when it comes to talent sophistication and and uh, and talent capacity, um, and 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 we can see this in the increase of salaries, in the uh, complexity of the uh, positions that that open and different startups, including ourselves as well. With that being sa- said, hiring now or finding the right talent is definitely uh, brutal. You know, there is abundance of 
options for all talents out there. Brutal. <laughs> um, so finding the right talent and and uh, and competing or like uh, pushing each other's shoulder on like who's uh, who will win this uh, this talent here or there, especially on the tech on the tech side, is quite uh, is quite difficult for all the startups at the moment. So recruiters will play a big role in that in 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 helping clearing up and also startups in the HR. And, and recruiting uh, space. If I was an investor, I would I would immediately <laughs> I would immediately spend some money on on hiring startups. You know, um, just because I see I see the explosion in, in most startups uh, right. happening soon. So yes, it is, it has been it has been really rewarding when we introduced our previous fund and this fund, and when we introduced our launch. We got hundreds and hundreds of, of talent applications that we really appreciate people's trust and, and excitement to join a, a small team like us and and uh, and wanna wanna be part of the journey that uh, that early and I think that became right before it was risky and now it's appealing and now it's exciting to be uh, to be part of that and and hopefully it stays like that. You know, it's interesting that you say that. Where um, in terms of you know, if you were a VC you would place a bet in that space because we're starting to see an uptick in activity in like HR tech or Definitely. talent matching platforms and some interesting models starting to emerge. So yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting thought. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. I, I am a, I am a beta customer for about four of them. Like we're really hungry for, for help in that particular sense. So it's uh I, I can see I can see this as an as an area that will grow in the region really well to facilitate to facilitate this movement. Yeah, yeah. quite important. Yeah, we're gonna talk more about this offline then. <laughs> <laughs> sounds Definitely. good. Sounds good. Some some scouting for sure. <laughs> so you know, before you sort of went live, you were running a beta program. Can you tell us a bit more about that and and where you think it was the most valuable to, to you. And maybe sort of extract some some learnings for some of the founders that are listening to us. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And actually, beta, yeah, like testing in beta, is is not common in in the region. Companies usually have customer interviews, and then they go live right away, and and test and and iterate. For from our side, building a super API infrastructure, there was so many options we can look at. Uh, so many use cases, things will look different from a tourism company to the e-commerce company to a fintech company. Should we focus on one market, multi-markets? Should we um, build this feature first or that feature first? And we we are very data-driven, as, as you can see from my talking about learning and stuff. We want to put concrete roadmap in front of us that seem uh, to be based on something and and customer interviews was one of this, but we also uh, needed a much sophisticated feedback on 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 things like that. We also right. from stu- studying companies like Segment or Zapier or AWS, in which they build this wide network of microservices and integrations. We can see from the use cases and how they build the company that customers can come with so many different uh, pieces to grab before they they leverage the entire infrastructure. So which pieces to introduce first was the most important question for us to answer. And this is what was the beta for. So most beta is focusing on getting a product um, 
a product feedback. For us, it was getting the product prioritization for the launch, for the launch ready. Uh, and the way we did it, we made a hybrid between building a sandbox environment or a testing environment in which companies can, can simulate our API and see how things will look like if they integrated with us in the future. In addition to that, we kind of like had an interview with every conceivable uh, use case in the region to understand how they are dealing with their payments now, how payments should look like for them in, in the future. Right. We conducted over 150 of these conversations and had about uh, 17 companies in, in our sandbox uh, as well. And uh, I think I think it, it really helped us focus and, and, and helped us launch in a, in a much more mature way. Did you have any doubts um, during the beta phase about whether to accelerate the program and go out and launch and run and grow. And the reason I ask that is because I think maybe in the last, not in the last two months with what's going on in the world, but uh, maybe six months or six, eight months ago when, 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 you know, the venture scene and startups were flush with cash and VCs were, were doling out money. Did you ever get that itch of, you know, let me just go out and raise a massive round and, and, and hire, you know, 50 people and run with it? Um, I think the three of us, um, in terms of ethos, are are do not have that. Do not have the the, the hyper gross uh, mindset because we do believe right. that things need to be built in 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 an iterative uh, learning capacity, and this usually takes time. We definitely like you. You get a lot of intrinsic and external pressures uh, because we as humans, we all want a tangible output. And when you are in a beta for so long, you kind of like one, like, ah, let's, let's push, let's do this. You, we want to get result. Uh, we right. want to get result early. And uh, we, we had to, uh, to have a lot of self-discipline to make sure that this doesn't happen. Right. Just, just because we want to see results early, not because there is a reason for the market for things to be introduced at some point. I think now we're ready to kind of start uh, introducing this component in which like we still can do things iterative and slow, but we also care about how fast we can move in the market, how, um, how much customers we're going to serve, how, what kind of geo, how we're going to interact with the geographical expansion and, and the team expansion. So I think this is now healthy to think about. I think during the beta, it was really important right. to try to, uh, to resist it, if, if that makes sense. Right. And I think, you know, I think just last question from my end, um, you have the wonderful experience of um, speaking to your start early, very early stage startups as uh, potential clients of yours. And then that point, you get to speak to founders at a very, very early stage and see what they're building. So just curious as to in the beta program, uh, if you connected with many founders, you know, directly, if you, if you forged many great relationships and maybe some advice for us in terms of what maybe... VCs in general uh, should do better or can do better with the founders that you're seeing? Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's, uh, that's a quite a question. Thank you for that. I, I really enjoyed the conversations with the founders. I really enjoyed where they are coming from, what, what everyone is building, uh, learning about the different use cases is, 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 was quite a rewarding experience for me and the team. And, and also there is a lot of relationship building there and, and we also kind of communicated to all of these founders that like you don't need to be a customer of Money Hash to 
just send us a question about paint, uh, right? At some point, we will be building as much content as possible to help companies navigate that on their own. But till that's the case, it's very, they are all friends. They all uh, reach out to me asking about like, what do you know about this payment method? What do you know about uh, this strategy? Do you think this is right? And and that's okay. what we hope to be anyway as a company, And but also happy to do that on, on the individual capacity as well. Egypt in particular, I'm connected to this ecosystem more, but uh, but with the beta, I managed to to build a larger network in UAE and KSA and Nigeria and, and, and South Africa. And I really appreciate these relationships and uh, the identity as Egypt standing as this bridge between the GCC and, and, and Africa is a quite unique spot for, for the right. ecosystem to grow. And I love how how it's currently actually materializing uh, with uh, African startups coming to Egypt and be like, oh, here is the GCC market that we can access. And the GCC company is coming to Egypt and be like, oh, we can now address the entire Africa. So it's very, very, yeah. very exciting to see uh, to see these movements. In terms of the second part of the question, or like how how funds can can uh, can be there and, and support. I mean, there's two things. One is the culture shift, the culture shift in terms of, and you probably know that, and, and I really appreciate uh, how Noah Capital started and how Noah Capital changed that. But but you, you know that there was a lot of established funds in the regions that was that the process was slow, wasn't found friendly, doesn't provide proper feedback, doesn't provide proper support. It was more of like an exhausting process for founders to raise funds. And this is shifting now with players like you kind of bring, building this founder-friendly, uh, supportive environment for, for founders to ask for help and, and, and seek feedback quickly. It's something fun, more funds is, are needed in the region to do, uh, to do this way. And um, all what the founder need is they get a yes or no and why and how as quick as possible so they can iterate their fundraising narrative and uh, and keep going. I remember when I started fundraising, I do I did start fundraising before FinTech in the region was that was right. that exciting to oh, every single fund. And so I was in the skeptical side of like, oh, we'll not be able to raise. So let me play the statistics game. I'm gonna go talk to a hundred, hopefully get a one percent success rate. So I will get one investor out of a hundred. This was my view when I started fundraising, right? And I think all founders are going through uh, the same experience, the experience of uh, we want to talk to as many funds as possible to find the right fit, the right personality match, all of that. And what they really wish is like founders uh, find VCs that friendly to them, talk to them as humans, make them tell the story, understands them, and then gives them a quick yes or no or a quick understanding of where they are heading so they can keep the conversations going and, and, and keep, keep things floating in, in that case. That's, I guess, is, is, a, really, is a really important uh, element. And then the second element is like, with how many funds growing in the region, I think uh, hands-on funds will always win. Uh, because they nurture the relationship with the, with, with the founders. They, they bring value much more sophisticated than money. So uh, so getting operators in the fund, getting other founders in the fund, um, helping to work hand-in-hand on like customer acquisition or large round structures or, or things like that 
is a very very uh, appreciated support that that all founders will uh, will so need at some I've point. So I've got um, one last question. So you've obviously built a fantastic network for yourself. You've got great investors and angels on board. You've got a really good relationship with everyone across the board and. I can see why, like from our conversation today, I can really understand why, but I, I want to hear from you, like, what do you think, you know, what are some things that you've done or that you continue, continue to do that play into that in terms of building this, this network? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, I, I do believe, um, maybe that's my imposter syndrome. I do believe that I didn't do anything special there, uh, at the, more than what any other founder will do is like talking to as many people as possible and and try to to convey your message as clearly as you can. So I do think that if there's if there is stuff that uh, that need to be integrated in a strategy of network building, one is just like honesty and and transparency and clarity in, in conversation with everyone. That will help people understand where you're coming from, what you want, and and how you want to execute it. So that helps them take a, take a decision or a quick judgment about are we in alignment or not. So openness and, and being open to be vulnerable, being open to be transparent is, is a pretty important uh, trait in, in communication. And, and that's, I think, helped me uh, nurture a lot of deep relationships with, with our network is just getting to this, um, to this uh, deep connections and than just getting stuck in the material uh, surface details. So that's one thing. Uh, the second part is that the iterative process should not happen only on the product. It happened on the narrative. It happened on how you communicate. My confidence in speaking about money hash uh, increases almost in a, in, a, in a multiplying way with every single conversation I have uh, because I can see the feedback. I can see what what kind of keywords resonated. So being able to reflect at the end of every day or at the end of every week, what worked, what not, what uh, what people seem to be confused about, what needs a clarification will help you build this confidence. And once you speak with confidence and you speak with openness, it's kind of like a, a natural process from there because you get a, ma- a natural matchmaking with those who think like you are excited about what you're building and it it also filters those you don't want in, in your journey as well. Awesome. Nader, thank you so much for your time. Um, this, this was super. I mean, I think I don't know if we'd agree Like we could continue, but I think we probably shouldn't because we've been talking for 55 minutes. <laughs> no, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate the conversation and, and the thoughtful questions and uh, and really excited for, for both of us and what's coming in the leash. Awesome. Awesome. Absolutely. Right. Thanks, Nadir. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.